This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. Whenever I I think about this church, my mind automatically goes to where the psalmist says, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. And growing up, I grew up in the church. My brother and I grew up in the church. My brother and my sister and I, we grew up in the church. We, we were raised in the church. Uh, we, we lived in the church. I'm pretty sure we were conceived in the church. And so everything <laughs> about the church we were part of. But growing up in the church, growing up in the church, if you grew up in the, in the Indian church, we, we didn't want to go to church because it was every day. It was every day. You know, I tell my kids now, I was like, you have it made, man. You only go to church one day a week. We would go on Sunday for church. And then my dad would say, we're going Monday. What's Monday? It's fellowship night. What's Tuesday? It's baptism night. What's Wednesday? It's, it's choir practice. What's Thursday? It's Bible study. What's Friday? It's prayer night. What's Saturday? I don't know. We're just going to get together. We just grew up doing this. And so I love that. So, so many of us who grew up in the church, we can't even say, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. But I love that when I think about this church, I think about the churches that that are in this city, and I think for myself, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. Because as we worship together, my mind went to Psalm 63, where David says how he longs to be in the sanctuary to, to worship, not just by himself somewhere, but he misses the time where he could be in the sanctuary with God's people. So it's an honor to be here as we talk about this idea of boldness. You know, I have four sons. Four kids that we're raising in this world, and so we're trying to raise them to be bold young men, and not, not, not careless, but fearless, to be men of valor, to be men of courage, to be men of integrity, to be men who can give bold witness to the work of God in the world, and that their life would be a testament to the movement of God that is happening in their lives. And often, I'm very jealous of my 12-year-old son, because my 12-year-old son has... He, he is the kind of boldness that I wish I had when I was 12. I wish I had now. So he, buy, he wears this cross around his neck, and he goes to a public school, and he wears this cross. And I, and I think, hey, Jai, do you want to you know, tuck it in? I, I have mine tucked in. He's like, no, Dad, I want to wear mine out. And he, and he looks at me with this confusion of, if, I, if I'm having this on, why, why would I hide it? And I'm thinking of, well, I, I know what middle school is like. I was in middle school once. I'm still in therapy because of middle school. <laughs> I remember middle school. Do, do you want to just, you know, just, and he's like, no, dad, I, I love Jesus. And I, and I want people to know that I love Jesus. And the, the kind of boldness that he has, but yet the compassion he has. And I think about my sons and I think this is the kind of boldness we need in our world today. We don't need this kind of Christian bravado that, that seems to be it's our way or it's no one's way. That we want some kind of a, a faith that everyone is forced to obey, but we want the kind of faith that we give bold witness to the resurrection life. And the way that we give and the way that we serve and the way that we worship and the way that we invite people into our homes to sit at the table and to experience as we break bread the kingdom of God here on earth, Celtic worshipers would call this the thin place where the sacred meets earth. And together here, we are expecting and experiencing the kingdom of God. And as we worship together, as we walk in boldness, we we get what the scripture writers would call the foretaste of the kingdom to come. Now, I wasn't a good cook growing up. I'm still not a very good cook. But I was smart enough to know that if my mom is cooking, the best place to be is in the kitchen. Because if you're in the kitchen, you get the foretaste. You get the little Costco sample. You know, they get the Costco sample. You're not going to buy the whole thing. You, you can't afford the whole thing yet. 
but you get the little sample. And so tonight as we worship, this weekend, tomorrow as we gather, tomorrow as churches all over the city, all over the world gather, we are, we're getting a foretaste of the kingdom that has come and its consummation will be the new heaven and the new earth where Christ reigns and we are co-conquerors with him in the heavens and the earth. And so it's an honor for me to be here. When I think about Christianity, we have to realize that the future of Christianity is actually in the global east. Studies will tell us that the rise of Christianity is moving outside the west and it's moving towards the east, which means as a community of people who are us, arguably the the largest diaspora in the world, we have to move outside of the mentality of being the model minority and into the position and the posture of being disciple makers. How are we inviting people into the school of Jesus? How do we student the nations? And you can't student the nations if we are timid, if we are fearful, if we are anxious, but to walk in the boldness of the resurrection Christ. I often will ask our church, do, do you live as though your Messiah is still in the tomb or do you worship and follow a risen Savior? Is he alive and is the resurrection life coming to life in you? And if we are to be bold in our faith and, and live out our faith and to invite people into the reality of the resurrection life, there is a secret. And the secret is not more education, as good as education is, is not more of church activity, as good and healthy as church activity can be. The secret is in our prayer life. The prayer life of the church, but the prayer life of you and your family. People ask me all the time, how big is our church? And I'll tell you the number that I count. I, count, I, I tell people our church is probably 200 people because I only count who comes to pray on Wednesdays. I don't count who comes to hear me preach on Sundays because I'll get the text message, Pastor, you preaching? I'm, bring, I'm bringing my friends. And I tell them, even if I'm not preaching, Jesus is always there. At least we hope Jesus is there. Uh, who's leading worship? What, what songs are we singing? Who's, who's running sound? Who, who's, who's doing this? Who's doing that? So I don't, I don't count. I don't count Sundays. I count how many people come to pray on Wednesday when no one's preaching, no one's in charge, where we make a plan and we say, Holy Spirit, you come and you have the agenda. You have the room. And in fact, in our prayer nights, we, we turn the chairs to face each other so the body of believers can see one another as they pray for one another, as they lay hands on one another. We speak prophetic words over one another, speak life over, over one another. And the reason that I take my faith seriously, the reason I'm a Christian today, outside of the, the inworking of the Holy Spirit who, who met me in 810B when I was 21 years old in my college dorm as I'm writing a paper on Ephesians chapter 2, outside of that moment, the reason that I love the church and I love the people of God and believe that this is the future, that God has called us to be a future, is because I saw two people who took their prayer life seriously. For all of their faults, and they have many, my parents, the thing that they taught us was how to pray. I cannot think of a single day, a single day that I have not seen my parents as early as four o'clock in the morning on their knees seeking the Father. Now by 6 a.m., because they're Indian, they were stressed. But from four to six, <laughs> from four to six, they were calm, they were patient, full of power. And I saw that they, even when I didn't believe anything that they believed, 
I believe that they believed what they believed because of the way that I saw them pray. Because prayer is actually the anchor of the Christian life. Now, when we think about prayer, we often think about prayer as, as, as communicating. It's, it's you and I communicating with God. C- communicating is, is what you do at the, at the Chick-fil-A drive-thru. When you give your order to that friendly homeschool kid and they take your $37 for your 12-piece chicken nugget. That's communicating. Communicating is what my wife and I are aiming to do every night at 8 o'clock when it's bedtime. And we're, we're trying to get these little kids to go to sleep and, and they're coming back and forth with all the reasons why they shouldn't go to sleep. And it's communicating back and forth. Very quickly, it turns into threatening. And then you know as parents, you're starting to threaten things that you know you're not going to hold accountable. But in that moment, you're just throwing anything out, just things you don't even own. You know, like, if, if you don't go to bed, you know, you don't get ice cream. There is no ice cream. There's never been any ice cream. But you're just threatening them. Or we think of communicating maybe in a transactional statement. So uh, there's sort of this, 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 you know, belief that grown men, when they're sick, they don't call the doctor. That's not me. I live in America now. If I so much as sneeze wrong, I'm, on the, I'm calling every doctor, every nurse in our church. I'm like, here are my symptoms. Okay, this is my symptoms. No, I, I'm not a doctor. I don't, we were on a plane a few weeks ago. Or last week, we traveled so much, and they, they said, hey, there's a medical emergency. Any, any medical people on board? Can you come to the back? And the lady next to me looks at me. I was like, no. <laughs> no. And I was like, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a theologian. I can pray for them. That's about it. But I, I'm not touching anybody, if that's what you want. Or we think of communicating, my wife and I joke about this, we think of communicating in parental conversations with our parents. Now, my wife is white, and so as I watch them, I'm like, man, the way that you guys communicate is very different than how we communicate. When my wife, you know, first saw us interacting with our parents, she thought we were always fighting. Like, no, 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 that's, that's passion. That's how we talk. We're just deciding where to go for dinner. That's just how we, that's how we are with one another. So this is, a, this is a true story. And some of you, you know this. My, my, my in-laws are visiting for Christmas, which to my recollection is two months away from now. They called me yesterday and they said, here's what we're thinking of what our plans are. We're thinking that we'll drive out there December 18th. They live in Oklahoma City. Like, we'll leave. We'll leave here. It'll take this many hours. We'll get here. We'll stop. We'll get our own car. We'll do all this thing. That's their way of communicating. My parents is different. My parents tell me when they're at the airport already ready to get picked up. They never told us they were coming, how long they planned on staying. And if I was like, Dad, I'm not even in the country. And he's like, why didn't you do that? I was like, because I'm a grown man with four kids. That's communicating. Or in our family, the lack of communicating. And we think that's what prayer is is just communicating with God, going, going back and forth, a, a transactional relationship. You, I ask a question, you answer me. Then I tell you something. I don't like your answers, or I'll tell it to you again because, God, I, I don't like your answer. But prayer is communing with God. Amen. It's listening. It's walking in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, walking in fellowship with the triune God who speaks, who draws us into still waters, who moves us into streams of living waters, who whispers to us, who calms our fears, who reminds us of everything that's true, communing with God. Communing with God is knowing his voice, trusting his presence, being guided by his will, being filled with his power, and it's the secret to walking in boldness. 
One of, one of my favorite things about Jesus, and I have many, one of my favorite things is he chose the kind of people that we wouldn't choose to build and advance a kingdom. And what I love about these men and women is in the book of Acts, people are looking at them and thinking, these are ordinary, uneducated, unschooled men and women, but we can tell that they have been with Jesus. With Jesus. There's only one woman I meet with one-on-one outside of my wife. She's an 83-year-old woman. Her name is Carolyn Schmidt, 83 years old. She was orphaned at 12, and she'd been serving in the same church in Denver since she was 12 years old. And every time I'm with her, I walk away, and I think, here is someone who has been with Jesus. She's lived in the same house since the 1960s. She's driven the same car since the 1960s been in the same church since the 1960s. But you can tell she has been with Jesus, walked with him, communed with him, listens to him. I I think of the old song that many of us grew up singing, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me the truest thing about me, which is I am his own. This is the secret to the Christian life. This is the secret to having a spirit-filled marriage, spirit-filled church, a dynamic life following God, whether you're single or you're married, whether you have children or no children, whether you're in the career you want or the career that you don't like. The secret to the Christian life is prayer. Prayer anchors us in the Christian life. I love what the Apostle Paul says to the church in Colossae in Colossians chapter 4. He says this, In verses 2 through 6, he says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Verse 4, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Verse 6, let your speech be always Gracious. Now, that alone would change the trajectory of our nation. And it's, it's wonderful that God has given us this tool called Facebook and Instagram, where people just so compassionately give their opinions and views of things. Isn't it amazing how there's so much compassion on this social media channel? Everyone's listening to one another. There's beautiful dialogue happening. Imagine what our world would look like if our speech was just gracious. Gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. As Paul comes to the conclusion of his letter to the church in Colossae, we're wondering, how will he wrap this up? How will he close this up? Will will he tell us, hey, I've told you everything you need to know. Now now you do you. Go go live your own life. Or he say, hey, good luck. God be with you. Cross your fingers. What What will he say to the church gathered here? And he says to them, Continue steadfastly in prayer, which means be devoted to prayer, be attached to God in prayer, persist in prayer. Throughout the letter of Colossians, Paul has set his theme. He has set this theme that Christ is Lord over all, that he is supreme over all things. He is preeminent over all things. Your situation, your suffering, your success, your trial, the city, the world, every single thing, God is supremely over the world. And then... God has secured redemption for all of us in the life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and now enthronement of the Lord Jesus. 
But we also see in Colossians that God, through the Spirit, has enabled us to participate in the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus as we commune with him and invite others into that communion life with God. And in order to do this, Paul says, continuously be in prayer, being watchful, being watchful. In a world aiming to deceive and distract followers of Jesus, in a culture that is often subversively seductive, drawing Christians away and confusing them with subtle lies, we are reminded to stay awake. Stay awake. Be alert. Stay on guard. Marketers are geniuses. Have you noticed all the most sugary treats are at the eye level of little children? They're not at our eye level. They're at the eye level of where my eight-year-old can see them. All the healthy stuff that nobody wants to eat is on our, our eye level. A few weeks ago, I, I take my sons to all the Barnes and Nobles, and that's usually our Saturday night. I try to give my wife a break, and so I take them to all the Barnes and Nobles. I usually, once I get kicked out of one, I try the next one and the next one. We don't buy anything. We just go, and we just go and look at stuff, and then we leave. The last time I went, I noticed something very interesting. In, the, in front of the kids' section, Right before you enter the kids' section is a set of tables at the height of my children. And on there are brand new books. And the title of these books, the little marketing is Boy Meets Boy, Boy Falls in Love with Boy, Boy Marries Boy. Not at my eye level, at my eight-year-old's eye level, at my six-year-old eye level. We act as if the devil and the culture don't know exactly what they are doing. And so I, I bring my sons to it. And I say, let's, let's talk about what we are seeing here in front. What do you think they are trying to tell you? What do you think is the message they are trying to give you? Now, this is in all of, this is in Disney, and this is in Pixar, this is in Marvel, this is in everything. So Paul is saying, be watchful of this. He's not saying escape and live in a bubble and pretend it doesn't exist. No, as you live in the world, be watchful of what is happening. Be watchful of the seduction that is being tried to come at you. Being watchful of the temptations that are coming at you. Perceive with open eyes what the culture is trying to do. And then continue praying with thanksgiving. Why? Because gratitude is the only thing in your life that will destroy entitlement. It's the only thing that will bring you contentment. It's the only thing that will enable generosity and worship in your life. Gratitude, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Nietzsche's last words, translated in English, was, dear mother, I am dumb. Dallas Willard's last words were, thank you. Thank you, thank you the gratitude of what God has done, and continue steadfastly in this. Now, why in thanksgiving? Because gratitude fuels boldness. The more grateful I am, the more bold I am to invite others. In other words, the, the more grace that I have experienced, the more grace that you have experienced, the more you want others to experience that grace. Because we are not banks of grace. We are vessels of grace. We don't hold what God gives us. We are vessels and funnels. As it comes in, it pours out. So gratitude. I have never met a grateful person who doesn't talk about what they're grateful for. I have met entitled people 
who tell me what they're entitled to. I have never met a grateful person who keeps it to themselves. A grateful person will let out what exactly they are grateful for and who they are grateful to. So Paul says, continue steadfast in this. And I wonder if one of the reasons we are not bold in our faith, bold in making disciples, bold in inviting others into the story of God, bold in inviting others into church on Sundays. You know who can't do that? Iranian Christians. Christians in Orissa can't do that. Christians in Syria can't do that. Many Christians in China can't do that. We have every ability to, at least in this time frame, at least as it still stands now, it might change in the years to come, but at least now, we can still invite people to come and experience the fellowship of believers, whether they believe in any of this or not. And I wonder, one of the reasons that we don't do this, one of the reasons we shrink back, we look the other way, we hold on too tightly to our rights and the things that we want, is because we're more entitled than we are grateful. And Paul is reminding the church then and the church now that those who call themselves followers of Jesus to be centered in the life of prayer, in our struggles, opposition, setbacks, temptations, suffering, distractions, even times of despair, it is prayer, prayer that is the anchor of the Christian life. For Paul, and for more importantly, Jesus, Prayer is not a perfunctory routine meant to fill the otherwise boring spaces of our lives. Or in church, it was never meant to be the, the transition moment between the worship and the preacher. So you have to pray long enough and you keep one eye open to make sure that the band is back up. Like, I got to keep them distracted. What, what should we do between this thing and this? Let's pray. It was never meant to be this thing that we just throw in. It was meant to be the center of what we do. As we gather, we we break bread, we remember the body and the blood, we pray, we meet at the fellowship table together with Christ. Prayer is the very lifeblood of the church. In the way that our blood moves throughout our body carrying oxygen, prayer is moving throughout the body carrying life, carrying hope, carrying grace and mercy and truth and power and boldness in the Christian life. So I want to give you two things about this. But I want to talk about why these are important when it comes to prayer in communion and moving in boldness. And I want to give you an illustration of one of my favorite movies I've ever seen. There's a, there's a movie that I love, and it's called Little Boy. And the movie is about a little boy whose father goes off to fight in World War I. And his father is either captured or killed. They don't know. And the boy keeps praying that his father would be returned. And he wants his father to come back home. And he keeps praying time and time again. And he can't understand why God won't answer this prayer for him. So he goes to see the local priest. And he's asking the priest why God won't answer his prayer. So the priest sitting across the table from this little boy, he takes out a bottle of wine and he puts the wine next to him. And he says, I, I want you to pray that the wine would be moved from here to there. So the little boy begins to pray begins to, to beg God to do something, and the wine doesn't move, and he says, oh, I can't do it. The priest says, try again. So he gets his hands out like he's you know, trying to do the force or something. He's like, Ugh, and he's trying to call this bottle towards him. He's like, I can't do it. And he says, I, I can't do it. The priest says, try one more time. So again, the boy, just with all of his might, is praying that this bottle would come. The priest picks up the bottle, and he moves it to the boy. And the priest says, look, you move the bottle. And the boy says, no, you move the bottle. And the priest says, no, you move me to move the bottle. And that's what prayer is. Prayer 
as one theologian would say, is, is the muscle that moves the arm of God. Prayer moves God to move, which means God has ordained prayers of boldness for you already. God has ordained for things to happen in this church. God has ordained for the walls of this church to be so expanded, there is not a building in Plano that could hold you. God has ordained for that to happen and ordained for that to happen in the prayer that you are so boldly to pray in order to receive the boldness to move on behalf of God for those walls to be expanded. And the great tragedy for us today is that prayer, even in the church amongst Christians, is often the last resort instead of the first response. God, what will you do? Move, move in boldness, move in power, move in healing. So two things I wanna give you. First is this, prayer forms our courage. Why is Jesus adamant about prayer? Why is Paul adamant about prayer? Two reasons, one, you can write this down, because you cannot live the Christian life without it. But secondly, we are prone to try. We are prone to try. Dallas Willard once gathered with a group of pastors and he asked them, why don't Christians pray? Why, why don't churches pray? And after they came up with all of their answers and everyone gave what they thought was the right answer, Dallas says, no, no, the reason that Christians don't pray and the reason that pastors don't pray and the reason that when the church gets together, they don't pray, the reason why when you call for a prayer meeting, nobody shows up. Christian concert with the latest band, packed. $300 a person, packed. Potluck, yeah, we'll show up, we'll bring some food, we'll hang out. The reason that people don't gather to pray is because they don't believe it works and they don't believe they need it. That's what Dallas says. They don't believe it works. And worse, they don't believe they need it. The, the more I travel, the more I realize it's actually harder to be a Christian in America. I mean, what do you need God for? Really, what do you need him for? Running water, two feet away. I mean, most of us, our worst problem is when the Wi-Fi is too slow. There is, we have lost the sense of urgency and the sense of desperation that we are living in a wicked and evil world. And we have forgotten that if the, if the purpose of Jesus was to destroy the works of the devil with the weapon of love, then that too must be our mission, to be sent into a world with the message of the gospel, which, friends, does not rescue people from a life that they hate. The gospel rescues people from a life that they love. They love that life until they meet a love that is better than life. We have the greatest message in all the world, and yet we shrink back time and time and time again. We live as a perpetually powerless people. So what does Paul say? Paul says that he wants us to pray continually, steadfastly, in boldness. In fact, Hebrews 4.16 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Help to do what? To do what we are called to do, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, to live in the confidence that Christ has called you to live in to move in the, in the one who has promised that he is faithful. Now, notice what Paul says. He says now, at the same time, pray also for us. Meaning, 
He's saying, pray for us in that which you are already participating in. He's not saying, hey, no, you're not doing anything. So since you're not doing anything, why don't you go ahead and pray for us? He says, because you are living in a certain way and participating in something, pray also for us that that which you are doing and continuing to do and will continue to do will be what we continue to do. And what are those things? He says, for doors to be opened, to proclaim the word in a, word, in a world rooted in subjective truth, which by the way, there's no such thing as subjective truth. Truth by definition is absolute. But in a world that believes in subjective truth, in a world that believes that the number one idol in America is the idol of self-autonomy, is the idol of self-expression. And in, in that world, in that world, rooted in this mindless need for entertainment, postmodern ideology, we are praying that God would open the doors, both literal, relational, and spiritual, in order that his truth goes out into the world. When we were first planting our church, it was eight years ago, I asked someone who, who knew the city better than I did, what would be the best place for us to, to start this church? Because we had this vision to be an intergenerational and intercultural, interethnic church. And like, where should we go? And he said, I would go to Cherry Creek High School. But they won't let you in. They don't let churches in there anymore. So challenge accepted. So I go and see Jill Schmidt. And I've, I got my whole speech prepared. I have, you know, I've, I hold my, my whole deck ready. And no. She says no right off the bat. So all we did as a church is we just said, we're going to pray every day. And I called Jill. I emailed Jill. I showed up at her office five days a week, every day for six months. And it was no, 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 no. But we knew we were launching the church on February 7th. So two weeks before the church launched, and we have not received a yes yet. She has not said yes. We sent out 50,000 mailers that we are meeting at that high school at 9 a.m. on February 7th. Risk, stupidity, faith. I don't know. It's all kind of mixed in right there. But I just kept believing God's going to do it. God's going to do it. God's going to do it. I, I prayer walked that place. I know God said it's going to happen. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. The Friday before we launched at 3 o'clock our time, she said, okay, you can have the high school. I had to call my friend, but she's like, I need the proof of insurance. So I had to call my friend who's on East Coast time to go back to his office to write up the insurance and to give it to us. And so the, the church begins, and, I, and I, the church is very small. I mean, it's, it's just a few, it's a few people gathering in a room of 700 people. And I start to pray, God, I, send more people, send more people, send more people. And I start to hear God saying, why don't you go out? Why don't you go out? Why don't you go out? You go out. So I go out one day, and I, and I begin to pray that God would send me someone unexpected. God, send me someone unexpected. And Uber pulls up. And it's this Muslim guy named Mo. And I sit down in the back of the car, and I notice that Muslim Mo is listening to K-Love Radio. It's like, well, this is interesting. I don't know very many Muslims who listens to K-Love Radio. So I'm starting to have this conversation with Mo, and, he, and I was like, Mo, you say you're a Muslim, but you're listening to K-Love. What's this about? He's like, well, you know, I, just, I think it's more positive, and there's really no such thing as like Muslim music. So I'm trying to listen to this. <laughs> And so this begins a conversation and a relationship between Mo and I. So Mo is this big Egyptian guy. I mean, he is stacked. He is, goes to the gym. I mean, probably he lives in the gym. And what Mo and I would do is every Tuesday, we would walk around downtown Littleton and we would get ice cream. 
And we'd get ice cream and just walk around and we would just talk about faith and talk about faith and talk about faith. And I'm just beginning to share with him the love of Jesus and the love of Jesus. Well, Mo gives his life to the Lord. His wife gives his life to the Lord. Their children give their life to the Lord. And next Sunday, we'll be baptizing a family that Mo invited to his wedding that came who are not followers of Jesus, who came and they come up to me and they just say, they say, we've been reading the Bible and we think we're supposed to get baptized, but, but we don't know what it means. So can you, can you baptize us? All that came from was God just send me someone unexpected. Send me someone unexpected. It is the the form, it forms our courage in the faith. So we are praying for God to open doors. Secondly, we're praying for boldness to declare the mystery of Christ. When I was in seventh grade, my brother and I went to a boarding school in Kodakana in South India. And on one particular occasion, I was, I was sitting on the, the, the fence of our boarding school watching a massive Hindu parade. I was fascinated by what was happening. There was music and there was dancing and there was chanting and thousands of people marching the street. And at the very center of the parade, there came this, it looked like a float almost, like a, like a Thanksgiving Day parade float. And as it came past us, I remember this vividly, there was a man who was hanging with hooks in his, the tops of his hands, on the parts of his lower back and on his feet with an arrow going through his mouth. And blood is just coming out of his body as he is hanging, and people are throwing things at him, chanting, chanting. And I remember this vividly in my mind, because this is what humanity is trying to do. Trying to find someone who is willing to take the sacrifice that costs them nothing in order to receive the satisfaction that they are longing for. And the mystery of Jesus is the revealed son of God who has entered the human story as the final sacrifice, who doesn't simply die in our place, but the mystery is he invites us to die with him. That as we die with him, as we are buried with him, we are resurrected with him, and now have moved from death to life in him. So we are praying for boldness for this mystery to be given to the world, that God, not only through Christ, has reconciled us to himself, but he has restored us to one another. And now with one another, we sit at the table of fellowship with God. So we are praying for the boldness to declare the mystery of Christ. We are praying that our testimony and the testimony of others is spoken with clarity. In other words, we are praying that in our daily conversations... God is able to empower us to speak truly and clearly the truth of God's love, inviting others to know what the truest thing about them is. And here is the truest thing about you. At the center of the universe is the relationship. God the Father is in love with God the Son. And God the Son is in love with God the Spirit. And God the Spirit is in love with God the Father. And they're moving together in what C.S. Lewis would call the sacred dance. And you, by the shed and finished work of Jesus on the cross, are invited into that relationship. The truest thing about you is that you are God's beloved. You are his beloved. And you've been given the task to invite others into that beloved story.
So here is Paul in Roman imprisonment, bound in chain, a prisoner for Christ. And he says to you and I, if you want to experience the richness of the Christian life, if you want to know God's voice, if you want to trust in his design, if you want to delight in his presence, you must orient your life in prayer. He is urging you to pray for the doors of the gospel to be opened. Do you pray, friends, for the persecuted church, for the timid church? for doors to be open, to pray for the courage to witness, to pray for boldness, to lift high the name of Christ Jesus. I love the words of Watchman Nee. He says, prayer is the work. The experiences of many children of God demonstrate that it accomplishes far more than does any form of other Christian work. It is also warfare, for it is one of the weapons in fighting the enemy. However, only prayer in the spirit is genuinely effective. We pray because it forms our courage, but secondly, prayer fuels our power. In prayer, we see what God wants us to see for our own good. In, in 2021, my, my wife and I went through a, a significant miscarriage, in, in extremely traumatic in that we are in the hospital, my wife is bleeding with, with more blood than I've ever seen in my entire life. This extremely traumatic, horrific experience where our older three sons don't quite know what's happening, but they know by the end of this ordeal that they, don't, they won't have a sister. And so every year on the day this happened, for the last two years, my wife and I take our sons out. We go get ice cream and we just, we just talk about what, what do you think Shiloh is doing with Jesus right now? What do you think she's saying about her brothers? What do you, what do you think she, she can't wait to talk about when, when one day you're all older and you get to go be with her in heaven? And what do you think she's going to show you? You think she's going to show you first? What is she gonna, where is she going to take you to first? And the entire reason we would do this is because I, I wanted my children to, to know that even in suffering, that even in suffering, that we should still pray. Because when we knew that a miscarriage was happening, all of our sons were praying. They were all praying for the baby to be healed. And, and I so badly would say, God, just not even for my sake, just, just for their sake, show them that prayer works. So can you heal the baby so that prayer works? I, I wanted them to know that prayer works. But as we're sitting and having ice cream this past July, I realized that the power and the perspective that God wanted to show us was that even in suffering, he's still good. Even when it doesn't go your way, even when you don't get the answer that you want, the power is knowing that even in the midst of that, God is still good and he's still faithful. In prayer, we realize where God wants us to go. In prayer, we receive the power to do what God has called us to do, which is why Jesus says to his disciples, hey, before you go, wait for power from on high. In prayer... We receive the power to walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. In other words, prayer in the Holy Spirit awakens our minds, draws us into truth, opens our eyes to be watchful, learning how to assess the voices that are speaking to us and determine if we are about to engage in is wise in God's eyes, regardless of how acceptable they are by the standard of the prevailing culture which means we are learning in prayer how to live in the power of wisdom and not to be oriented around fear. In prayer, we learn how to get the answer or live in the answer, or the power, I should say, of how to answer each person. People are curious. People are hurting. People are suffering. People are lost. People are wandering. People are lonely. How do we answer the questions they have? 
One of the things I really enjoy doing is there's a, there's a local coffee shop near our church. And so I try to go there once a week to get coffee. And the sole reason I go is to talk to the baristas. And so every time I go, I talk to the baristas and I, and I typically ask them a series of questions. But one of the questions I ask them is, if you could ask God any question, what would you ask him? And interestingly enough, I get the same answer. I get, well, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in him. To which I say, well, that's okay. If you could ask him a question, what would you ask him? And then they ask a question, which I think is interesting. Because if someone asked me to ask a question to the Easter Bunny, I wouldn't give them a question because I don't believe in the Easter Bunny. But at some point, they'll say, okay, this is my question. And typically, they, they ask the same types of questions. Uh, why, did, why do evil things happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? And things like that. I never answer the question. All I say is, that's a great question. And I get my coffee and I leave. And I try to come back a week or two later. And I'll say, hey, hey Brittany, last time we were here, you asked me the question of why do bad things happen to good people? Of all the questions you could ask God, why that question? Because I'd ask God what the lotto tickets are. Like, what, who's going to win the game tomorrow? Like, I'd ask God maybe some more interesting stuff. Of all the questions in the universe, you could possibly ask the creator, why that question? And what you finally get to in the conversation is what she's really asking is, why did my mom die of cancer when I was 12? That's what she really wants to know. Why is my dad still a perpetual alcoholic? Why did I get put in a foster care system? That's what she really wants to know. And the only way to get to that question is in the power of prayer to know how to speak to those who are asking questions that only God can answer. And we're asking God to show us people. See, if you asked a group of people today, what are Christians known for, at least in the American West? They would say they're irrelevant, they're judgmental, they're racist, they're bigots, they're homophobic, they're unloving. And Paul seems to say that the only way to be seen and experienced as kind and life-giving, to have life-giving speech, to have words of healing, to be able to answer each person is through prayer. And Paul is inviting the church in Colossae, in the church today, to be the kind of church that is life-giving and wise in a way that commends others to the gospel. And the tragedy of many Christians today is that although we have all the information in the world that we possibly need, we live as a perpetually powerless people. The Christian life is a life full of power, yet time and time and time again, I meet Christians who define themselves by their trauma or by the tragedy rather than the healing that is available to them. And I'm wondering as I meet Christians, who are you? Why do you keep living as a powerless people? Do you notice that amongst Christians, we love to talk about the generational curses of our family, but not the generational healing in our family, or not the generational blessings in our family, or the generational power in our family. It's almost as if we don't know who we are if we're not broken and traumatized all the time. And God says there is a power available to you. The same power that caused Jesus to rise from the grave, that resurrection power is alive and well, and, and Christians are too busy trying to orient their life in their own strength than living in the power of the Holy Spirit that is available. And the great tragedy of today is not that God is unavailable, but that Christians are unwilling. We are unwilling to receive the power that he has, and the power that he has is simply in a life oriented around prayer. 
of all the things the disciples could have asked Jesus, and there could have been a lot. Teach us how to walk on water. That would have, that would have been cool. Teach us how to take a, a few loaves of bread and some fish and break it and multiply it and feed 15,000. That, that would have been cool. Teach us how to go to a tomb and call someone to be, come out and rise. From, that one would have been cool. Of all the things, Rabbi, teach us how to pray. Why? Because they saw something in their rabbi that he would not do anything without prayer. Prayer, and only prayer, is the way that our sinful hearts are healed and transformed into a new and holy and pure desire. With that desire, in that power, in that courage, we come to the Father in boldness and call others into the presence of the Father because prayer is the anchor of the Christian life. I'll end with this. There's a story of a professor who is crossing the bay and he gets into a ferry and he begins to speak to the ferryman. And he says to the ferryman, have you studied philosophy? And the ferryman says, no, I have not studied philosophy. And he says, well, then 25% of your life is done. He says, have you studied theology? And the ferryman says, no, I haven't studied theology. He says, well, then another 25% of your life is done. He says, have you, have you studied psychology? And the ferryman says, no, I have not studied psychology. And the professor says, well, then 75% of your life is done. And right then, the ferry hits a rock in the water, it breaks in half, and it begins to sink into the water. And the professor begins to panic, and the ferryman says to him, Professor, do you know how to swim? And he says, no, I don't. Then he says, then all of your life is over. The devil does not care, friends, one ounce for your philosophical disposition or your theological training. He is not impressed with your spiritual background, the neighborhood you live in, your academic achievements or career advancement. He is not concerned about your immigration status, your financial resources, or your ethnic identity. Why? Because you can have all those things, and in the end, all of your life is gone. There is only one thing that matters. There is only one concern to stake all of your life on. The only thing that causes the devil himself to tremble, and that is, do you know how to pray? Do you in seasons call on the name of Jesus? Do you trust the one who is supreme over all things and holds the world in the palm of his hand? Who holds your world? Do you trust him? Is Christ enough for you? Is his power in you? Is his spirit in you? Is his faith in you? Is his grace in you? Is his life in you? Is his vision in you? Is his holiness in you? Is his purity in you? Is he enough? Because as Corey Ten Boom would say, until Jesus is all you have, you won't realize that Jesus is all you need. And I would contend that what the world needs today is not Christians clamoring for political power or social status. We don't need Christians to lead the way in the pursuit of celebrity culture or to showcase the path to the comfortable American life or the accumulation of more things. We don't need Christians leading the way in mindless entertainment or the radical worship of self. What the world needs today, what this city needs today, is for followers of Jesus in the church 
to reclaim their highest calling, to once more become the kind of people who humbly seek the face of God, praying with all of their might that God would have his way in the world. He would bring the rule of his eternal kingdom and draw the broken, the lonely, the wandering, the anxious, the depressed into his healing presence. And prayer, prayer, and only prayer is the means by which we will see heaven come to earth and we will be released to walk in the boldness to invite others into the story of God himself. Prayer, prayer, prayer. The worst thing that can happen to you, church, the worst thing that can happen to you is to grow into the largest church in the city that never prays. The worst thing in the world is to be a family that is not dependent on God. The worst thing in the world is to have all the success that the world can offer you and you don't know the heart of Jesus or the heart of the Father. Pray, 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 pray. Steadfast, continuous, over and over and over and over. Father, fill this place. Fill this place. Christ, would you be our firm foundation? the rock that we stand on, when all the world is shaking, when all the world is moving, when all the world is offering to us everything that we could ever want or dream of, would we stay fixed on you? Lord, would I stay fixed on you, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before you endured the cross, scorning its shame and sorrow. Would we see you now seated at the right hand of the Father? God, we pray, we pray, We pray, God, would you fill every seat in every church across this city? Lord, we don't want just this church to grow. We want every church that calls on the name of Jesus to grow in this city, to reach the nation so that every knee would bow, every tongue would confess. Why? Not because our church is needed, because you are worthy of it, Jesus. So God, we pray, we pray, we pray, we pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. I pray right now, God, as we sing these songs, you would bring to mind people whom you are giving us the boldness to go speak to. Friends and family, neighbors, co-workers, the people we run into day in and day out, the barista we see day in and day out, the people that we know you have called us to be bold witness towards, and yet we are shrinking back. God, give us boldness in the name of Jesus. We cry out for boldness. We ask for boldness. We pray for boldness. We seek boldness because you are worthy of the worship of every single person. So Father, I pray that the walls of this church would come down. Lord, I pray there would not be a building in Plano large enough to hold the expanse of what you are doing in this place. And when people walk into this place, they would not be impressed by any doing of anybody else, but they would have the impression of the Spirit of God falling upon them. Lord, I pray that they would have an encounter with the living God. And Lord, what what it would take counselors and medicine months to do, you would do in three seconds. You would bring healing, you would restore families, you'd restore marriages, you'd restore people with broken dreams and broken hearts and dead lives. You would raise up the dead into life. God, you would restore families. You would bring those people to the table who would never sit at the table. And you would bring your healing presence. And God, there would be a power that comes from this place. So Holy Spirit, we are calling and asking for your power. The same power that fell in that upper room that day amongst 120 people. Would that power fall among us now? Would that power come now? Would your spirit come now? Would your grace come now? God, would you awaken in our minds boldness? Would you awaken our eyes to see what you see, what you show us? God, would you turn our hearts that are full of fear into hearts that are full of courage? 
compassion and conviction to move where you would send us. So we move God, we move God, we move God. Come now, Holy Spirit. Church, would you just open up your hands from wherever you are and begin to just invite the Holy Spirit. Say, Spirit, come now. Spirit, come now, fill this place. Fill this place, fill this place, fill this place. Fill this place, fill this place. We pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Keep praying, fill this place. Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.